You're listening to the New Hope Church podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in. Today's talk comes from Zach Killy. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. And uh, today we're going to be continuing our walk through the book of 1 Corinthians uh, because we're talking about the push and the pull. Uh, Randy talked a little bit about this last week. The push being that nudge from the Holy Spirit working in our lives to push us to righteousness, to push us to be like Christ. And simultaneously that pull of society to drag us down to hell, to death, to, to pull us away from Jesus. And it seems like we live in a world that's, that's pretty good at that, actually. Um, and so the reason we're talking through 1 Corinthians is because I don't know that there's a better example biblically of a church struggling with that uh, pull of the world. And so we're looking to them today. Uh, we're going to get right into it. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 5. It says... I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even pagans don't do. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. And you should remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in the spirit. And as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed, and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person among you. So it's going to be an easy morning, right? That's, that's simple, not too crazy. Uh, let's recap that. So Paul is talking to uh, the Corinthian church, Because there is a man among them who is sleeping with his stepmother openly. Now, here's the deal. We know it's openly because everybody knows about it. 
Paul knows about it, and he's not even there, okay? This is just something this guy's doing, and he's like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. No big deal. And the bigger problem is the church is going, yeah, it's what he's doing. No big deal. It's not good. And so Paul is writing to them, and he's saying, look, this, this isn't cool. You guys have to do something about this. You have to get this man from out of your midst. You have to deal with this right? And he says, you're going to call together a meeting. You're going to kick him out. I'm already casting judgment through this letter. I am there in spirit through this letter. The power of Christ is with this decision. Do it. It's your job as the church to do something about this. You need to know a little bit about the Greco-Roman world. Um, As much as we know about the Greco-Roman history of the world, which is some of the most amazing history to read about, like to read about all the Caesars and about like, you know, King Leonidas and all this cool stuff. Um, As much as we know about that, the one thing you should probably recognize when you're talking about the Greeks and the Romans is they are a sexually immoral people, deeply so. To the point, um, I think Randy started to kind of touch on this a little bit last week, um, but like it's not uncommon in their culture, that you go to a temple to go worship uh, said deity, right? God or goddess, whatever, over that temple. And you would go there and you would find the, the head priestess and you would pay her money because she served dually as a prostitute. And then you would sleep with her as worship to that God. That's the culture we're dealing with. Let's, let's add to that, right? Um, you, you've heard of, of the, the crazy sex parties that they would have in Rome. You hear about the gender fluidity and the active practice of homosexuality in Greece and Rome towards the end of those empires, just before things get really bad. We're talking about a culture where there are no confines on anything sexual. Everything goes. Very few standards here. And yet Paul says, not even the pagans do what you're doing, guy. (laughs) Like, not even the Greeks and the Romans do this. And you guys are just fine with it. It reminds me of today. Not a lot's changed. It sounds like the progressive church to me. Um, It's all done in the name of love and acceptance And, oh, we don't judge. It's not our position to judge. You know, that's God judges. And it turns into affirmation, right? And that's what it seems is really happening here with this man's situation in the church of Corinth. And Paul is pointing this out, and he's condemning it outright. He's saying you're not being loving. You're not being, you know, forgiving. You're not being kind. You're not being accepting. You're being wicked. You're being evil. And that's not who you are. You're God's people. Stop it. Get rid of this from your midst because it's polluting the rest of you. He's saying you have to accept this for what it really is. Okay, now here's the deal. I say it's a lot like today. It's because we live in a sexually immoral culture. How, How many people here have a smartphone? That should be every hand. That should be every hand. Yeah? You got apps on that smartphone. You got Instagram. You got TikTok. You got YouTube. YouTube Shorts is just like Instagram and TikTok at this point. You got Facebook. I know that one's like not cool anymore, but whatever. It's a thing. Tell me I'm wrong. You scroll long enough, 
you see something you shouldn't. Is that fair? And they're hoping that what will happen is it'll catch your eye and you'll look just a little bit longer at that one than at the rest of them. And they'll take that into account in their information and then they'll push more of that on you and more of that on you and more of that on you. We're inundated with it through all the apps. Parents, if your kids have access to a phone, they have access to things they shouldn't see unless you've put up blockers, things like that to take care of that. You've got access to that. If you got Google, you've got access to the worst one of all, right? It's not just the internet. It's not just our phones. What about, um, what about movies? What about movies, man? Movies get worse and worse. The things I've seen in movies are unreal. TV, Game of Thrones pushed all the limits of what could be done on television. What about music? I mean, rap is a genre dedicated specifically to greed and sexuality, hypersexuality. At least that was the case for, you know, like a decade. But at this point, it's all of it. It's all the music, or at least most of the music. Not all, that's not fair. But a lot of music. A lot of music is just about sex and money and power. We're inundated with it. It's everywhere. And do you know why? Because sex sells. Sex sells. And the reason that's important is because people want money. And they make money through ad space, ad revenue, from you looking at ads. And so they get that data. That's why they collect your data, right? They want to know what you're interacting with, what's working, what isn't. And you know what works? Sex. And that's why you see so much of it everywhere. And do you know why? Do you know why it's everywhere? Because we like sex. We, we enjoy it. In fact, we are built for it. We are wired for it. God made man to desire sex, man and woman. I'm saying man is in humanity. People are wired to be sexual beings, but in a very specific way. God designed sex to be something between a husband and a wife. And the reason it's so important is because it kind of serves as a symbol of God's relationship with his people. A husband and a wife are married. They become one flesh. What is more symbolic of that than the act of sex between a husband and wife? More so, a baby comes from sex between a husband and wife. And that shows just a little glimpse into what it's like for God to make us and the way he must feel about us as our parent, as our father. We get a little glimpse into the eye of what it must be like for God to look at us when we look at our children. And more so than that, it's that when a man and a wife, a husband and wife come together and make a baby, they created that baby. They made that baby. And so for just a second, man is co-working with God. Man got to make man. God gave us this ability because he loves us and he wants to partner with us. And that's what sex is when it's done right. But at its worst, in the improper way, it's about me. It's selfish. When it was never meant to be that, it was meant to be an act of love. It was to be a thing that was shared between a husband and a wife. But it becomes this inward-focused thing. It becomes this, this matter of 
something to be consumed, a desire to be met. It becomes something that should be on my terms, my way. It's all about my preferences. It's just so warped from what it was initially meant to be, right? And I say things have gotten bad. You know, the, the world hasn't changed a whole lot in 2,000 years, it seems, right? Um, let me give you just a few stats here. We've gotten to that part. It's fun, let me tell you. Um, these are from pupils and from Barna, but I just want to give you like a little glimpse as to where we're at. Um, so 57% of Christians polled in, in, these, in these researches. Uh, they said that casual sex between two consenting adults is sometimes or always acceptable. That is, 57% of Christians believe that casual sex between two consenting adults is always or sometimes acceptable. Let me go ahead and give you a, a brief uh, definition on casual there. That is meaning not in a relationship, they may not even know each other. 57%. A little bit spooky. 68% uh, of Christian men watch pornography, uh, pornography regularly. 76% of Christians, 18 to 24, view pornography regularly. That should be most of the room at this point we've got, right? And I'll go ahead and take you a step further, just because we're, we're trying to sweep all the legs here. That's, that's what I'm doing. Uh, Jesus says, if you look at a woman with lust... You've committed adultery. Ladies, vice versa. If you look at a man with lust, if you look longingly with desire in your heart for someone else, you practice sexual immorality. And tell you what, if we haven't got everybody yet, I want to go ahead and include the other few sins that we, we do remember Paul saying here earlier. Right? He had a few other things that he said. I don't want you to have anything to do with these people either. Right? So I read that and I thought, wait a minute, that reminds me of all those times Paul goes, and here's all the people that aren't going to receive the kingdom of God. They're not going to inherit it. So I just went through and I just put them all in one list for you. And here it is. Sexual sin, idol worship, adulterers, prostitutes, those who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy people, drunks, abusers. Cheats or people that uh, have unfair gain on other people, right? Psychedelic drug users, murderers, the impure, the lustful, hostile people, angry people, jealous people, people who gossip, envious people, people that want what other people have, right? And those who cause dissension, those who cause problems between other people. Did I miss anyone? Are we good? We got everybody? Good. So now we can talk about what that means. Does that mean we all get kicked out of church? Because that's what's happening in 1 Corinthians, right? Paul is saying, this person is doing this. Remove him from the midst of you. Guys, if we take this as literally as Paul is laying it out, there's no one left in this room. There's no one left in a single church across the United States of America or the world for that matter. We're all done. We're all out. So what is he talking about? That's the question here. I think really hinges on our understanding of two very, 
very, I mean central, biblical words that we do not talk about enough. The first one, repentance. Y'all heard that? Show of hands. Yeah? We're good. Love it. Second one, confess. Cool. Here's what those words mean, because they're big, fancy, churchy words, all right? Uh, And we have some preconceived notions on what a confession is, right? We've all seen like, you know, CSI or whatever. We've seen people make like confessions, but what does it mean biblically? What does repentance mean biblically? Well, repentance comes from a Greek word. Greek is the language the Bible is written in, okay? Greek was the common tongue in the Roman Empire. Uh, Latin would have been used for like high speech and legal reasons, But Greek was what the people spoke. It's what they wrote in, most of them. And so our New Testament is written originally in Greek, for the most part. And so the word repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia. Metanoia quite literally means to change your mind. That's it. To change the way you think about something. Okay. Now, I know you've probably heard repentance means to turn away from something, to walk away, to completely change. And I'm not discounting that, okay? Because when you change your mind about something, when you actually start to think differently about something, where you once loved it, but now you see God hates this, I hate this, it's going to lead to change. It has to. You can't comfortably believe something and continue living that way. It, you will break eventually. And so the beginning of repentance is its truest, most literal form to change your mind. Here's the second one, to confess. That comes from the Greek word homologeia, okay? Here's what it means literally, to say the same. To say the same. That's a little weird. What's that mean? It's like this. God says, this is your sin. This is what you do. You do this thing, I hate it. I hate that you do it. It's evil. It will kill you. It only brings death. This is my way. You should be living this way. And then you look at what God says and you go, I do do that. That does lead to death. That is wicked. You do hate it. I should hate it too. And I should be doing this. You're right. I'm sorry. That's confession. To say the same, to see God's way and go, you're right. So to repent and confess is to see it for what it really is, to change your mind. I have thought about it incorrectly. Now I think about it correctly and I see God's way. I see what he wants and I agree. That is what I should be doing. Here's the problem. I don't see that in Corinth. Fair point? I think so. You've got this guy walking around going, look, hey, no big deal. Just sleeping with stepmom, no big deal. And the church is like, yeah, it's cool. God forgives you. He loves you. It's fine. Do whatever you want. And Paul's going, no, you don't even see sin for sin anymore. You don't, you haven't even begun to repent. And look, it's spoiling all of you because you're letting this bleed into who you are and what you, what you think and how you act. And you need to get rid of this guy because he doesn't even understand what he's doing is wrong in the first place. He is that far gone. He is that far detached. Get rid of him. And that's kind of what this whole thing boils down to. Is there's there's two ways you can look at this whole thing. You can look at that laundry list and you can see yourself on it, whether it's sexual sin or it's gossiping or whatever. 
Somebody, everybody is on that list somewhere, right? We're all on that list somewhere. But what is it for you? And when I read that list and you heard that thing that struck a chord with you, did you go, oh my gosh, that's me. I do that. I hate that I do that. I, I have been trying not to do that. I've been reading my Bible. I've been trying. To, I've been talking to my friends. I, maybe you haven't. Maybe you, maybe you haven't been talking to your friends about it. But maybe you've been suffering quietly. Maybe you want to be different, but you don't know what to do. But it hurts you and you hate it and you know God hates it. I'm telling you, you are not what is being talked about in 1 Corinthians here. And you are not what that laundry list is talking about. Because Paul actually afterwards says, you all used to be this. You used to be these things, but you're not now. Because you see it for what it is. God's changed you. The Holy Spirit has put a work in you. He's, he's changing you from the inside. And you aren't a sinner anymore. You aren't, and that's not who, what defines you anymore. You're defined by the Holy Spirit. And that's why you should act like you're defined by the Holy Spirit. But, if you heard that list of mine, of Paul's, I should say, and your first thought was, well, I don't do it that often. And, you know, I, I only do it because of X, Y, Z. You know, I only gossip because I'm trying to keep people in the loop. I just want to keep people informed. You know, everybody has a right to know what's really going on around here. Or, you know, I, I just, I, I'm just sexually immoral from time to time because, you know, you know, mine and the wife's relationship hasn't been so great lately. Or like, like, the question is, do you see it for what it is, or are you just making excuses? Are you refusing to call it sin? God is showing it to you. It's in his word, and he's saying it's wrong. This is the kind of behavior that people led to hell are doing, and you're not made for that anymore. And if you're sitting there and you're going, no, that's not me. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Then you're exactly the kind of person this is talking about. And you should be shaking in your boots And to show just how far gone we are these days, is we built this big, crazy church system now. Like, that's what we got these, this, this weird, like, business model kind of church thing that we all take place in these days. It, it's almost gotten too big that we don't even know each other anymore. You know, little pockets. Some people maybe just show up on Sunday. They don't have anybody holding them accountable. And when church leadership might point out to you and say, hey, look, you got this sin going on in your life, and you got to turn from it. You know what most people will do? They'll just leave and go find another church. Those are the people that should be afraid when they read passages like this because you're never actually letting God confront you with your sin and to change you and to pull you away from it. And if you read what Paul's saying here, he's saying the function of the church, your church body, the church body you're in currently, is not to affirm you and tell you how good you are. It's to show you, hey, we're all pretty messed up. And we need to work together to be made right. Let's help each other. But don't run from that. That's, that's when you get written about here. See, I truly believe, had this guy got confronted by the first Corinthian church, by, by the church in Corinth, and they'd been like, look, we know what you're doing and it's wrong. Had he looked at them and said, I'm sorry, you're right. Had he had David's repentance, right? When David is confronted by Nathan in the Old Testament, Nathan's like, look, you, you're a murderer and you're a rapist. And you're, he goes down the list. He names it all. And David's like, you're right. I've sinned before myself. I've sinned before God. God help me. And he breaks down weeping and he wants to change. And he just like, if that is how this guy had responded, 
Had he even just acknowledged it and said, I'm trying, please help me. I don't think that it would be written about here. The question is, do you see your sin for what it is? Because that is the start of your change. Because if you do, if you do see your sin for what it is, this is where we get applicational, right? What are you doing about it? Let me ask you this. If it's sexual sin for you, and many, many men struggle with this, what's the cause? Is it your phone? Is it the internet? What is it? If every time you're home alone, you can't help yourself but to go to the computer, maybe you need to get rid of your computer. If it's your phone, maybe you need to lock down your phone. Maybe you don't need a smartphone. Maybe you need a dumb phone. Maybe you just need to make cell phone calls and, or cell phone uh, texts and calls, whatever. What is the source of the problem? Cut it off. Let's go gossip. Let's go, you know, the wild parties and the drunkenness and whatever. If you, every time you hang out with a certain group of friends, you find yourself drinking too much, you find yourself gossiping about other people, stop hanging out with those friends. If you overeat, if your problem is overeating all the time and you know that every time you go to Kroger and you walk down the snack aisle, you buy that bag of chips, stop going down the snack aisle at Kroger or stop shopping alone. Take somebody with you and let them get on board with your plan and say, hey, I'm not going to do this anymore and they won't let you go buy chips. What are you doing? What is the root cause? And if you're sitting there and going, oh, I've tried everything and nothing works. No, you haven't. There is always something else, but it might hurt. And this is where we get to the whole push-pull thing. You might have to live very differently than the rest of the world. If you don't do anything, I was talking to Abby about this yesterday. I said, I feel like all we do is watch TV anymore. When we get home, all we do is watch TV. So can we get rid of like all our subscriptions and just get, put like a DVD player there? And so if we want to watch a movie, we really got to want to watch a movie. We got to go get a DVD and go put it in the DVD. Like, like make it hard on yourself. Take away the easy access to sin. Because here, here's the deal. Sitting around and just watching TV, that's sin. I'm not helping anybody. I'm not doing any good for anybody. I'm being lazy. It's sloth, right? It's not good. What is holding you back from godliness? Cut it off. So the first thing is see it, see it for what it is. Change your mind. Say the same thing that God says about your sin. The second thing is, do you have a plan in place? And the third thing is, who's helping you? I got a comment the last time I stood up here. On, we do those little YouTube shorts, which do way better than our regular videos. We have like a thousand people watch those things sometimes. It's cool. But I was like reading the comments, which you shouldn't do. But... Um, <laughs> I was like, who's holding you accountable? Like, who do you have that's holding you accountable? And the person on the video was like, this pastor will never do it. Nobody in his church will ever do it. That's what the world thinks about you. That's what the world thinks about Christians. If that tells you anything about us. Who's holding you accountable? Do you have two to three people around you that you know love you, that genuinely care about you, that want to see you do what is right and what's godly, and you know that you can tell them exactly what you're struggling with? Do you have those people around you? Because if you don't, you've got to get them in place because you will fail on your own. 
There are no lone wolf Christians. You will fail on your own. See it for what it is. Put a plan in place. Cut off the root of the issue. And have a small group, a loving group of people around you that know you inside and out. And you know them. And you can hold each other accountable. We as the church are to build each other up. And we're so surprised every time a Christian screws up or something. Well, that just tells me we're not being transparent enough with each other. We got to open up to each other. We've got to hold each other accountable. And we got to be able to call it like it really is. And stop pretending that it's fine when I do it, but it's bad when they do it. It's all bad. That whole list, guys, you're on it somewhere. What is it for you? What are you doing about it? Who's holding you accountable? Think about that today. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.